I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. If someone was like me and felt like they didn't like write writing a really elegant eloquent piece of writing is out of reach for them that is okay just write what you think you can write and if it looks different to what you've seen published out there in the world um i think that is a really special thing hello and welcome to the new writers room a podcast for emerging writers my name is caitlin chang and i'm the editor at sbs voices The SBS Emerging Writers Competition has wrapped up for 2021. When the team at SBS Voices put the call out for stories, writers came out in force, with nearly 4,000 people putting pen to paper to tell their stories of being between two worlds. This year, our judges were so impressed with the calibre of stories that they extended the prize pool from four to five, so that we now have two equal runners-up. Tara June Winch and Beirouz Bachani said that this year was groundbreaking in its volume and remarkable in its scope of stories. For the judges, what grabbed their attention was what they called the simplicity of the winning stories and the stylistic artistry used to convey each experience of the authors. They added that they have great hopes for all of the prize-winning and long-listed authors and hope to read more of their work in the future. Today we are joined by three of these remarkable writers. We have prize winner Kat Yen. Hi. Runner-up Maya Hodge. Hi, how are you going? And equal runner-up Aki Michael. Hi. So today we'll be hearing from these three writers about what it was like writing their entries, their inspiration, and also their tips for other emerging writers. So welcome everyone. It's really nice to have you all on the new writers room. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hi everyone. So I feel like your stories have been with me for weeks because it's been a long, long listing and judging process. So it's actually a real privilege for me to talk to the people behind these beautiful words. So Kat, first of all, congratulations on winning first prize. How are you feeling? Oh, thank you so much. Um, I feel like still feel really shocked so it is so so surreal and I feel more than anything really really grateful and it's everyone has just been so kind (laughs) so yeah I think a lot of a lot of gratitude for sure well that's lovely and would you be happy to read an excerpt from your entry which was titled minor details yeah absolutely um I'll read the first two paragraphs sure Leo works as an engineer but dreams of being a painter Though he never says he dreams, simply that he is. I'm a painter. Both his mathematical mind and creative soul materialize in his apartment. All portraits hang on the walls. Science fiction titles line his shelves. He paints Nikola Tesla on a clock. His objects of objects, racks, frames, a beaker holding chopsticks in the kitchen. In the corner of his paintings, a neat signature, L. Wong. There are no signs in my apartment that I dream of being a writer. When you are poor, what you own mostly says you are poor. Though my prospects are now bright as a junior data analyst, I've never bought a book. Almost everything I own is either a bed for eating or soap. 
stories are an extravagance I still can't afford. Gosh, I love the imagery in that. So, Kat, the judges called your writing masterly storytelling. I'm just going to read a quote from their judgment. So they said, this story manages to wrap a story around a story. The outer incarnation is that of outsiders, of a mother and a father, and the things that were broken in the process of creating a family. And the inner heart is a tale of that minor detail of love, of having hope and in being understood. How did it feel to um, hear that feedback from Tara and Beirouz? Um, Well, more than anything, well, when I submitted the piece, I wasn't sure that what I wanted to say was going to come through. Like, I, I don't know what it's like to read the piece as someone who didn't write it, but it really sounded like Tara and Beirouz, they got to the heart of what I was trying to say, um, that amid sort of all the big things that my parents went through, there's always sort of an underlying desire for love and, and hope and to be understood. And yeah, it just meant so much that they were able to receive that message. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, it must be, I guess, validating, as you said, that they kind of got what the heart of the story was about. Yeah, it is. Um, I guess because, yeah, when you're writing, you, you spend so much time with the piece that you can't really see it clearly. Um, so I, I really wasn't sure what the response would be. Mm, well, the response has been great. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just going to throw to you now, Maya. You said that your beautiful work, Bidjan, was inspired by Tara's novel, The Yield, when we spoke the other day. In a moment, I'll ask you to read us a section. But first, can you briefly tell us what the story was about? Sure. So I guess my piece is a bit of a mix of fragments of my childhood memories. And um, I guess I was inspired by Tara's work because language really stitches the story together in her book, The Yield. So when I read that, I was inspired to take on language and try and reclaim my language in a short story of my, you know, 23 years on this planet. And, um, yeah, I was just really chuffed to be able to write my story and have the response I did. So, yeah. Mm. And would you be happy to read us a section now? Sure. Warika, some. The girl looks home from high school in the stagnant heat of a 50-degree day with her violin strapped to her sweat-soaked back Fatigue dripped between her brows and her shoulder blades, watching as her peers drove home in air-conditioned cars. She dragged her feet on hot concrete as she walked a long way home to the crumbling house. Her footsteps in time like waves against the shoreline. Eula, tide. Mela, tide. High of great duration. Dulma Mela, tide. Medium high, malleable, tide, slowly receding. It's so wonderful and lyrical, your piece. Of your entry, Tara said that she loved the format, the use of language to navigate the story and how you use language to tie the story together. She called it a delicate and deep feeling story where the melding of cultures is subtly explored. And both judges called you an accomplished and beautiful storyteller, have those words sunk in yet for you? <laughs> yes and no. I think sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> I um, <laughs> I had these wonderful 
people, Tara, and various just look at my work and read it and see me and tell me that I'm a good storyteller. I think that's really affirming, especially when you're an emerging writer. And yeah, growing up in a regional town as a Aboriginal woman, you know, a lot of people tell you that you can't write or you can't do certain things. So this was just yeah, deeply moving for them to say that about my work. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, Aki, your piece Songbird, it was an equal runner-up in the competition. And actually your piece was one of hundreds of entries written by writers who were aged in their 60s or over, which I think is really remarkable because it shows that you can be an emerging writer at any age. I think you can be an emerging anything at any age. I want to, you know, I'd love to be able to have people my age and older break any boundaries and think they can do it, you know. Mm. I just saw this, there was a lady just broke the world record, 105 years old. She ran 100 metres and he showed her on the camera and I, I, I just, I think, wow, she's an inspiration. So thank you. And would you be happy to share an excerpt from Songbird now? Yes. Okay. My father and I were like two chairs placed next to each other just so. We'd often sit together in his backyard garden. He'd smoke and drink the Turkish coffee I'd brew for him, and he was content to watch the trees and flowers. For half an hour, he once studied a paper daisy I plucked from the lawn for him. Really, I think all he ever wanted was to be left alone to drink coffee, smoke cigarettes in a nice garden, and immerse himself in clear seas. And he had a songbird one last time. As his life was coming to a close, he wanted to go back home. In the end, I think we all end up back home, whether we want to or not. So there we were in Cyprus. But when he grinned that hot afternoon upon seeing the dying, beautiful songbird, it was the only time I seared with a hatred for him. I felt somehow betrayed and stupid. I thought this time his reaction was monstrous. I saw in that moment that at his core there really was no humanity, no empathy, no understanding, a hollow man. I felt like I'd reached the nadir of my existence amongst those sad trees that afternoon. I had nobody left. He, on the other hand, reached a kind of feverish happiness, the intoxicating thought of tasting that delicate once-in-a-lifetime birdie flesh. He looked at me expectantly, shiny-eyed and damp with sweat. Do the honours for me, son, would you? I think I'd fuck it up, my hands are shaking. I didn't blink. I acted. I took a step, untangled and grabbed the songbird from the net and snapped its neck. Click. Dead. Tiny. Soft. Like holding a bunch of cotton balls. It lay in the palm of my hand still unbelievably a thing of great and exquisite beauty. Wow. And just to give listeners a bit of background on that piece, you're kind of recounting trying to source a local delicacy in Cyprus for your father to eat one last time, the songbird. So that's what the context of that passage was. And the judges called your piece a wonder of a story and they said that it was a lyrical, unique journey that was very moving and also a heartbreaking read. That must have meant a lot coming from someone like Beirut Bichani, who you have described as a personal hero. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, someone has gone through as much as he has 
to say those things is, yeah, it's very meaningful for me. And, and both Tara and Beruz were very gracious and kind to say those words. We all like to feel that we're uh, val- validated. Mm. And so those, you know, we don't, we don't often get that. So I'm still living off the fumes of that. So that's great. <laughs> and I guess in the case of all three of you, your stories were the first, I guess, pieces of narrative prose that you'd written and had published um, on our, you know, well, currently published on our website, which I think is really extraordinary and just shows how the competition can unearth creative talent. But what I think is interesting is that you've all been inspired by other art forms. So, you know, Aki, you have been an actor for over 40 years and Songbird is quite cinematic in its imagery. How has your experience as an actor and also writing and working on scripts and short films, how did that experience help inform this story? Funny you should say that because now looking back on it, I see that it has a three-act filmic structure and it has the beginning, which is that imagery of, you know, setting the scene and then it's got the body of the work with a monologue with the father and then the ending, the resolution, which was meant to be uh, quite dramatic. So I I didn't realise that until I... I saw that I applied some of that technique to this writing of the short story. Mm. Yeah. And for you, Maya, you're a you're a poet, you're a musician, and you work as a curator. I just want to hear a bit about how your art inspired this piece. Yeah. So um, again, yeah, this is my first time writing a memoir and a longer piece of writing. And there's only so much that a poem can tell a story, and sometimes you need to expand upon, you know, what you're trying to say and a few lines won't work. So I was really drawn to fleshing out parts of my life that I haven't talked about before in a larger format. And, um, yeah, I guess playing with the layout of how the piece works is like a very sort of poetic thing (laughs) and artistic as well, you know, when you play around with the way the structure of a piece will look. So, I was drawn to that aspect and sort of swaying more towards experimental fiction and how that is something that I hadn't really delved into before. And so I kind of wanted to try and touch on that with my piece. Mm, I love the vignettes and I think it reminded me of poetry and, and that kind of structure. And I think, yeah, it was really, I guess, interesting and an engaging way to read that story. And Kat, you have said that you're inspired by listening to hip-hop music. So I was hoping you could tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So to be honest, um, I really don't read as much as I should and I would like to. Um, Definitely one of my goals (laughs) is to read more books. I need to read more books. Um, But I work as a data analyst and when I'm coding, I listen to like entire albums and I have a really, really deep, deep, deep respect for the ability of um, rappers to use the English language in creative ways. Mm. And I'm not interested in elegant writing in a traditional sense. Um, I'm more interested in creative usage of language. And I find always that in hip hop, um, people use words in the most unexpected ways. They don't even say syllables how they were intended to be said. And, And there's always it's underpinned by rhythm so I think when I write I think I have a natural sense for I think the rhythm of prose and what 
words sound good together. Mm. Um, but because I haven't read as much as I would like, there are lots of things I struggle with because in music, I think you try to pack a lot in a few short lines. And I forget when I write that you have more time to pace yourself and take it a bit slow. I think probably in my piece, there's no slowness. There's no, <laughs> there's no real lull. It's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty full on, I think from the beginning to the end. And that's probably something I'd like to work on. Yeah. It definitely has a pace to it, which, you know, I think is what makes it so engaging. And the motif of the minor detail, I think was it was quite rhythmic. That's a really kind of interesting insight into your use of language and how you, you know, applied that to your story. One thing about all of the pieces is that they're all quite personal. Kat, yours is, it's raw and it's full of emotion. How did it feel to finally put that story out there into the world for other eyes to see? Yeah, to be honest, um, I wasn't sure I was going to tell anyone that I won because the piece is so personal I don't you know I, I write about once like my apartment being quite moldy I don't live in that apartment anymore but I was wondering like oh gosh if people read this are they going to be worried about my like occupational health and safety um yeah so I, yeah I was a bit wary of sharing it but I did because in the end I thought this is my life and uh, I'm not ashamed of it and people can read of it, read it and, and, you know, just sit with it. But yeah, actually the response has just been so kind and, and everyone has been really graceful. And I think the best review actually came from my brother because he was the person I was overwhelmingly the most nervous to share mm. the piece with because he grew up with me and went through a lot of the things that I described in the piece. But to be honest, we haven't spoken a lot about some of the things I wrote about, so I never really knew what he thought about those things and whether he'd reacted in the same way. But he read the piece and he said he loved it and like he couldn't like believe that I'd managed to like kind of put our experiences in words and that to me is like worth more than the prize money or anything else. Mm, that's that's amazing, and I think. When you're writing memoir and you're writing about memories that you have had, you know, and you're writing about family, but that's, it's a shared experience with other people. So that must be quite validating to kind of have that feedback from your brother. For you, Maya, you said that this piece, you wrote this piece to honour your matriarchal line. How have your family responded to the piece? Well, my mum had a cry <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Yeah, my whole family have just been really supportive and anything I write, I always send to them to look at before I send anything off because it is not only my story but it's also their story too. It's just a respectful thing, I think, to share my pieces of writing because a lot of the writing I do does touch on my mum's experience, my brother's experience and, um, and also my, yeah, the matriarchal line in my family, my great-grandmother and my grandmother. Yeah, it's important that I share the experience and the writing with them too because all our journeys are connected. Mm. And what about for you, Aki, what was it like putting this personal piece about your father out there into the world? Well, you know, I loved him for being so det <laughs> detached <laughs> and, un and un uninvolved with me. I loved that he didn't 
care what I did or what I said or who I was. He never, he never, I just found that liberal. No, no, someone would say that's so apathetic of a father to be so disinterested in his kids. But for me it was liberating, you know, and I think that's why we were like two chairs, you know, mm. next to each other, just so. So that's, there you go. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. It does. And I'm curious to know, I guess, what the writing process was like for each of you, whether it was easy or if you got stuck. Kat, when you spoke to SBS Voices earlier this week, you said that kind of this was the first piece you'd finished. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So what broke the writer's block, I guess, for you? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why it was this piece that I was able to push through to the end. Yeah, I I wish I knew because, (laughs) I mean, it came after a breakup, but I don't think that you know, the guy who was that significant in the scheme of things. I don't think it was him. Um, But there were some paragraphs in the piece that I felt so strongly about that there were lots of the piece that I was unsure about and I reworked them like multiple, multiple, multiple times. But there were always some words I put to the page that I felt strongly about, that I felt firm about. And I think they anchored the piece and probably gave me um, some faith in it to see it through. Mm. I sent the pieces I wrote to some friends who I really trusted and, and I got a lot of feedback as, as I was writing and sometimes I took it on board, sometimes sometimes I, I, I stuck to my guns. I feel the piece was a labour of love for me, not just for me but also I'm sort of like an output of I got a lot of help from the people that I love as well. Mm. So that's interesting. You you got some, I guess, feedback on the stories. You wrote it. And for you, Maya, you said that your family read it. But in terms of writing it, you know, you usually write poetry. What was the most challenging aspect of writing in this style? It's a good question. I think I did approach it like it was a really big poem. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. And I think <laughs> I struggled to sort of, mix together the different memories for it to make sense and so I had a few different drafts (laughs) of the work trying to figure out how to lay it out because I have so many of these memories but I wanted to do it in a way that was gentle but liberating at the same time so I found that challenging to expand upon those memories not just in like a one sentence sort of poetry kind of way but yeah more of a short story and um yeah I think it was also challenging to talk about those memories too I think it's hard to talk about childhood and different traumatic things that happen as a child through an adult's eyes so I think I struggled with maybe the things I was talking about too but at the same time I feel like it really helped in my healing journey as well. And what about for you Aki was it difficult actually writing the story and then putting some of those memories down on paper? Uh, I have a big problem with procrastination (laughs) and uh, distraction, and I'll find any excuse often not to write. But I had had this uh, rule, even if I just go upstairs, turn on the laptop and put down one punctuation mark or one word or one sentence per day, if you can achieve that, then I'm happy. So often I'd struggle and there was one section which I found relatively easy to write, which is describing my relationship with my father. That was lovely to to encounter that uh, piece of uh, 
writing because that came easily. But uh, the others were I had to work, fit the words together. Like Kat says, what looks best on the paper. Mm. Uh, I use that a lot, yeah. Mm. This is a question for all of you. What was the most challenging part, I guess, of writing a story that centres your voice and your perspective? Uh, The most challenging thing was how accurate do I have to be to reality? Mm. Do I have to put down every single fact as a truism? And is that valid, Uh, putting myself in the centre of the story? How true do I have to be to the story, so the listeners, the readers, and to myself? Uh, I wrestled with that issue a lot. Mm. And how about for you, Kat? I mean, you've said that you were nervous about your brother reading the story because, you know, he has had that same experience. Were you concerned about writing a piece that kind of really centred yourself at all? I was really concerned, yeah, to get the details right. And I I had a lot of discussions with my mum about her memories and I learnt a lot about my mum throughout that process. But I think the factual accuracy, that wasn't so much of a challenge because I, I could sort of defer to her and... What I found challenging, I think, about writing overall is I feel not a burden, but an awareness that there isn't a lot of writing that centers the voices of um, working class people and and poor people. Mm. It's not that I expected to win, but there's always, you know, a possibility that someone might read this piece. And I always am thinking about the reader's perspective and aware that this might be the only sort of story about someone growing up with not a lot that they read for quite a while. And I feel that that is quite a burden and and I don't want to play into any stereotypes or reinforce any sort of conceptions. And I feel a great burden to sort of give them a complex picture and make sure that that complex picture stays with them. And I would feel a lot of guilt (laughs) I think if I didn't get that right Mm. and what about for you Maya do you feel that you know want to get that representation right yeah I guess because I knew a lot of my family would be reading the work and a lot of friends had the same sort of thought process as Kat I guess in making sure I represent myself truly who I am Mm but also holding the memories that I have also do affect other people too. So I think I struggled a lot with how much do I reveal, how much do I tell of my truth. And there are a lot of things that I pulled out of the work in all of my different drafts of I'm not ready to tell that story yet. I think I can tell that Mm. story in a different way. So, yeah, picking and choosing what I would reveal in this story and in a way that would be gentle and loving and kind to both myself and my family. So sometimes if you can't put a certain paragraph in one work, you can do it in a different way in another piece. Yeah. And more generally speaking, there is this shift towards the stories that we want to hear. And there's also been a shift in who gets to tell stories. Kat, you discussed that there aren't many stories, I guess, around working class Australians. And was that important to you, I guess, to add that perspective? It's not that there aren't stories of working class people, but I feel they are often told in certain tones. And this this is changing, I think, but 
stories of poor people. They're often sort of mired in tragedy and and there's maybe an angle of pity and and there's the phrase poverty mm. porn and I don't know, something that comes to mind is I know Squid Game was really, really popular recently and I, I actually could only watch one episode because I just had this feeling like why are we so interested in watching um, like impoverished people yeah. being like subjected to violence? It seems to be a, be a very popular thing these days. And, mm. <laughs> um, and I think it's okay for those things to exist. Like certainly all kinds of stories can be told, but I think that there should be stories about working class people that are joyful as well and, and complex and where there, there are multiple sides and I don't think I actually got it right with my story. My story is actually quite a dark read. I wish there was more laughter in it because I think working class people should have stories with with laughter as yeah. well. Yeah, that can be your next story. <laughs> <laughs> Kat, you originally did pursue a career in writing and journalism but you gave that up for something more stable and you now work as a coder. So has winning this competition you know, inspired you or changed that feeling for you at all? Well, I always, I think up until, yeah, probably this week, I never had a sureness that my writing was that good. Like I just hadn't really sent it anywhere. And yeah, so, I mean, as I was writing, I definitely was thinking like, oh, I don't know if this is very good. Um, So now I think, okay, my writing's probably not that bad. (laughs) I can probably do it, you know, with some confidence. But I'm certainly not going to quit my day job, (laughs) Um, but I will definitely think more about writing. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure what I would write about next because it took me so long to (laughs) to finally finish anything, Um, but I I definitely feel very, very encouraged. Yeah. And what about for you, Aki? What's your next, I guess, creative pursuit? Well, I wrote, I've written an episode for an online series about um, counselling and that goes into production next month and I think I'm acting in it and that's there are 10 episodes right just eight minutes long and then I want to get up I want to get my three screenplays produced and a six-part comedy series that I've written with my friend and we want to I'd like to parlay some of this success into getting people to have a look at the screenplays. One's been optioned and now is out of option. Mm. But I love cinema, I love literature, and I'm very keen to get those up and running. So you'll keep writing in, I guess, other formats such as screenplays? I think so, yes, for the foreseeable future, yeah. Mm. And and what about for you, Maya? What's, I guess, next for you and your writing? I don't really know except that I've always had an idea of – continuing with my poetry so um maybe one day working towards the manuscript but I would really love to focus more on my writing it brings me a lot of joy um it's something that brings me more joy than the current work that I do I think it's something that I can see myself doing for a very long time so I think putting in 100 percent of my effort in one day when I can <laughs> quit my job and <laughs> become a full-time writer I think um I think then I will find a way to really express myself the way that I want to you know the dream full-time writer I know Wouldn't the dream <laughs> <laughs> um and just finally I'd just like to ask each of you for your 
one piece of advice for people hoping to enter the competition next year? I'll start with you, Mayo, if that's okay. Yeah, just sit down and just write write your story and it doesn't matter if it goes into the competition next year or the year after. I think it's important to tell your story. Your voice matters and your story matters. Um, and I didn't think that I would be where I am right now. So you never know. You never know where you end up. So definitely keep believing and keep writing. And what about you, Aki? What's your piece of advice? I've got a couple, yep. please. Yeah. J- just open that laptop and type in a word or a, a letter even or a sentence and leave it at that and go away and have your cup of coffee and then build on that. Just just something every day. The second is have a central strong idea or an image and just expand from that, extrapolate something from that. And the third one is have something in your head about the beginning and a final image for the end and then sometimes that can help connect the, the two together so you can scramble in the middle and then uh, work like a jigsaw puzzle. Mm, that's really good advice. And what about you, Kat? What's your piece of advice? Um, my piece of advice is don't think too much about what good writing should be. Like it, I, I think it doesn't matter if you haven't read um, like bestsellers or like all the classical novels. Um, really lean into your natural way of, of speaking and lean into the words that you naturally choose and the turns of phrases that come naturally to you. And I, I really have a soft spot in my heart for people who um, yeah, grew up with not a, a lot. If someone was like me and felt like they didn't like write, writing a, a, a really elegant, eloquent piece of writing is out of reach for them, that is okay. Just write what you think you can write. Um, and if it looks different to what you've seen published out there in the world, um, I think that is a really special thing. Mm, absolutely. And that's one thing our judges said. They noted that the winning entries, there was a simplicity to the stories, which was beautiful. Yeah, so thank you all so much for joining me today. You know, both our judges, Tara June Winch and Beirut Bichani, both said that they hope to read more of your work in the future. And I can't wait to see what you all do next. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you, thank you Maya. Thank you, Kat. Thank, thank you, everyone. Thanks, Caitlin. Thank you for listening to the new Writers' Room. Don't forget, if you'd like to hear more advice about entering next year's competition, you can listen to our special Between Two Worlds episode, where I discuss this year's theme with writer Sarah Malik. And keep an eye on your podcast feed for our Summer Book Club episode. We'll be talking all things literature, our favourite books of the year, and sharing with you some recommendations. The New Writers' Room is produced by Caitlin Chang and audio produced by Jeremy Wilmot. Our executive producers are Natalie Hambly and Daniel Teutsch. You can find SBS Voices on Facebook or on Twitter. And if you'd like to pitch a story to us, you can email voices at sbs.com.au. The official anthology of the 2020 SBS Emerging Writers Competition is out now at all good bookshops. Roots, Home is Who We Are, published by Hardy Grant Books in partnership with SBS, features 30 of the best entries to inspire you to get writing.
SBS is Australia's most trusted multilingual broadcaster. Our listeners are loyal, highly engaged and have supported countless local businesses. We offer advertising packages for businesses of all sizes. Our experienced sales team will guide you through the process of owning a great campaign. Bring your own ad or have our production team make you something in one of our 68 languages. Start the conversation with your new audience today. Email sales at sbs.com.au.